0: we Happy St. Nicholas Day. Yes, where I come from, if you get cold in your stocking, that's a good thing. It's cold. So, uh, let's pray. <laughs> that was the voice, where I just that the most German thing he's heard all day. Uh, yeah, so Germans, we are practical people. Thank you for the call. It will be very useful. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your people. Fill the hearts of your people. Now I've gotten off, off track because of the coal. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the heart of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in your comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly, uh, rebuke him, we humbly pray, him. do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Lord, I ask you to bless all of those who are ill, especially with COVID. I pray especially for Mary Beth, that you would be gracious to heal her, and we place her in your care, and all those whom we love who are ill. We ask these things through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, all right, let's do it. Let's open the big book on the coffee table. You know, I want there are some things, let me just look, I I shouldn't do this. But there were some things that I wanted to talk about from yesterday's reading. I'm sorry. We'll get today's reading. I'll be very brief. But this, um, uh, well, I think we're going to see it again. But uh, every lofty mountain will be made low, and the age-old depths will be filled to level ground. This is this is a, um, um, a very clear reference that, that when, when the king went on a royal uh, uh Tour, you know, the kings would go about their dominions to survey things. It was your job, if you were a town, to fill in the potholes and level out the 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 lumps in the royal highway. You had to maintain that highway, which I, I thought was kind of interesting because so many of us are so passive. Well, the Lord's coming, and well, I don't have to do anything till he comes. That's not the way it is. Um, that that we we have the job of of preparing the way for the king and and that's what this this uh, every mountain shall be made low and every valley be filled it's referring to well, road maintenance so i just thought you'd want to know that and i think we're going to be talking about it again um, uh, later in, i think later in the week it comes up again but well let's let's go to today's reading which is uh, Again, one of these very messianic readings. Um, uh, be strong and fear not. Here comes your Lord. He comes with vindication. Um, <laughs> something that, that um, struck me. The steppe uh, will rejoice and, and bloom. The steppe will rejoice and bloom? What? You know, S-T-E-P-P-E. If you heard that, you might have thought the stairway is going to grow What? No, the uh, the idea of the steppe blooming uh a steppe is a, 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 like a, a grassland it it's just this side of desert and the idea is that that there are no rivers in a steppe it it's um uh, um uh it's it's kind of well what would you say it's 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 semi desert uh and so the step blooming is, is a great, great uh, promise. Um, now, I want to look up something here, Isaiah. I just noticed it, and I wanted to see what that word was. Uh, he'll, he comes with vindication. Um, uh, let's see. Well, let me see. Let me see. Hold on. And again, great radio, huh? Oh, dear. Well, okay. Say to those with anxious hearts. Okay. Uh, the word here, I think that they're translating uh, vindication. Uh, I think the word they're translating it is gemul, which means recompense. Uh, it, it it means a benefit. Uh, it's it's what it, it can mean what you deserve, but um, he's going to make up the gaps. And again, this is this is a. a, a very important biblical idea that, that to fill in the gaps. But at any rate, I'm just thinking at any rate, I, I, any, any, I say that a lot, don't I? Uh, I want to go to the gospel. This is um, a very interesting phrase in Luke, the fifth chapter. This would be about the 18th verse. We're studying Luke five, 17 and following. It's fascinating. Pharisees and teachers of the law would come from every village of Galilee. Um, uh, and Jerusalem were sitting there. Um, the Pharisees uh, quite didn't, I think, looking at the context of Scripture, they didn't quite know what to make of Jesus. Was he one of them? Was he not one of them? He believed things they believed in like the resurrection and uh, angels and, and miraculous reality. Um, but he, he didn't have their approach to the law. Uh, Uh, There were different groups within Judaism, and uh, again, forgive me, I I repeat myself, but any Jew you meet today, be he Reformed, Conservative, Orthodox, or uh, 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 Reconstructionist, um, they are in a certain sense descendants theologically and ideologically of the Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees were a group of people who were considered the progressives in their time. They were not clergy. They were a political party. And to be a Pharisee, I believe you had to swear in front of uh, two other Pharisees to uphold the entire law of Moses, all 613 commandments. I don't know if they thought of it as 613 back then. That was Maimonides, who I think codified it in the Middle Ages to 613. But all of these these laws, uh, uh, ritual um, and, and moral and, and just arbitrary rules. Uh, I've told you about the chukim, the, the rules that appear to make no sense. All of them, you swore to follow all of them and the rabbinical interpretations that applied thereto. And you remember the Pharisee party. And there were maybe six, seven thousand of them. Um, and there were different schools within the Pharisees. There were the school of Hillel, which were the uh, liberals, and there was a the school of Shammai who were so conservative they might as well have been Sadducees. The Sadducees were the ultra-conservatives. They didn't believe in anything except the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and uh, uh, they didn't believe in, in life after death. They did any of those things because they're not clearly mentioned in the Torah. The Pharisees believed in all of those things, but they were the progressives. We always think of them as kind of conservative. They weren't they were they were people who who believed the Sadducees believed that the very rigorous laws of the Torah applied to the priestly classes the Sadducee party was the priestly party and uh, they they observed extreme ritual purity all that sort of thing but the people the unwashed mobs they didn't have to worry so much about this and <clears throat> The Pharisees believed that the laws of Moses applied equally to all Israelites. That way they could include everyone in the life of the temple. You only were strict about certain laws if you're on your way up to the temple. Uh, This is one school of thought on these things. Uh, I know that Rabbi Lefkowitz, may he rest in peace, would have disagreed with me, but, but I think that most scholars would say that 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 the rigorous laws, uh, such as no, no linen and, and, and wool in the same garment, that sort of thing, they were not so rigorously observed or the washings, that sort of thing, unless you're going up to the temple because you had to be ritually pure to enter into the temple. And that's why Sadducees being in the priestly families, they had always to be ritually pure. Well, the Pharisees are kind of the liberal bunch. They, they, uh, they said the laws apply to everyone. In other words, everyone's involved in the life of the temple. And then they, they, they thought of ways to make those laws a little bit easier. For instance, you cannot draw water on the Sabbath. That's work. However, if there's a rope attached to the bucket, the bucket's in the bottom of the well. You put the rope tied around your waist and walk away and the bucket follows. Well, you're not working. You're just putting your belt on. So they developed all these kind of uh, dodges to make the law and the temple, the worship of the temple, available to the common Israelite, to involve the common Israelite in their the life of faith. So, these are the progressive types. So they're they're trying to figure out: Jesus is he us? Is he them? Which kind of us is he? And they're sitting there listening to him. And the Pharisees were not all opposed to Jesus. Um, they were not his enemies. Uh, the Pharisees, I, I don't believe, were in any way responsible for the crucifixion. Uh, At least not most of them, because a Pharisee would never have handed over uh, a fellow Jew to a foreign authority. The Sadducees would, because they were making money off the temple, and Jesus was bad for business. But the Pharisees, they would never have done that. And they certainly would never have had uh, uh, a fellow Jew crucified if he was a blasphemer. He was to be stoned to death, and they would follow the law in that. Well... Um, uh, the thing that interests me is he's sitting there teaching and the power of the Lord was with him for healing. Well, this is an interesting thing because it, it doesn't quite say that. And it came to pass, um, on one of the days that he was teaching when he was teaching, uh, there were Pharisees sitting by and, Teachers of the law, fellow rabbis, nomadidaskali—that means teachers of the uh, law—and they—they were—they had come from every village of Galilee, and Judea, and Jerusalem. And here's this is the interesting part to me, and the power of the Lord was there for the sake of healing, was there uh, that He might heal. Uh, um, in other words, it's for the for the purpose of Jesus healing. Well, wasn't the power of the Lord always with Jesus to heal? And I would say, no, it wasn't. Uh, why would this verse be there if, if at all times, Jesus, uh, the power of God to heal, the power of the Lord? And remember, when you hear the word Lord in the scriptures in the New Testament, it's a Greek Jewish way of saying. Y-H-W-H, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one God. Um, there were times when Jesus was unable, and that is the word. Uh, I'm looking this up here. Um, okay, in, in, for instance, the Gospel of Mark, we find um, that uh, um, that. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, this is Mark 6 5. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown among his relatives, and in his own household, is the prophet uh without honor. And it says he was unable uh, to work uh any miracles there, except um uh he was able to heal a few people by laying his hands on them. The power of Jesus was limited. How was it limited? He was God, the Son of God. It was limited by the Father. Now, this is a very difficult idea to grasp. That that Jesus, he said, I do only what the Father tells me. We think of Jesus' power as kind of an arbitrary thing at his disposal. He was completely at the disposal of the Father. I do only what the Father tells me. He says in the Gospel of John, I always do what is pleasing to him. Jesus was God, the Son of God, co-eternal with the Father. But we read in Philippians, the second chapter, that he laid down the rights and prerogatives of divinity in order to become one like us uh, fully except for sin. Philippians, the second chapter, though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. So Jesus was the perfectly obedient son of the father. That's why he worked miracles. Not because he was God, though he could have. I believe he worked them because he was the obedient son of the father. He was the new Adam and in his Perfect humanity. He was perfectly obedient to the Father, and the Father said, "You see that one? Heal him." This is a. We like to think of, of the power of God as arbitrary. The power of Jesus as well. He could, uh, you know, you read all those those pious uh, third century uh, Gnostic gospels, and uh, they talk about Jesus uh, making little clay birds and then bringing them to life. Uh, he didn't do that. I really believe he didn't unless the father told him to. Now, this is the hallmark of the personality of Jesus, obedience. The fruits of the spirit to them add obedience. That was the hallmark of his person. And the hallmark of my personality is rebellion and maybe yours too. But this idea that the power of God was on him for healing, um, that's amazing. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, well, they lowered this guy. They took off the roof tiles. And uh, I remember once at uh, St. Lambert's with these precipitous stairs down to the hall. And we had a lecture going before we got a little elevator put in. I will never forget. They were bringing this guy down the stairs in a wheelchair and the look of terror on this guy's face. uh, That was faith. When he saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. Um, then the, the scribes and the Pharisees kick in. He's speaking blasphemy. Who but God alone can forgive sins? And Jesus says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or say rise and walk? Uh, but that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Pick up your stretcher and go home. Isn't that something that, that uh, you know, we have great theoreticians of of re- religion and great theologians, but Jesus Jesus um, backed it up with miracles. Miracles are very important. A lot of times we downplay miracles, uh, but I don't think we should. That that uh, things like the Shroud of Turin or healings at Lourdes or Eucharistic miracles—they're there for a reason. They don't. uh, I always tell you that uh, miracles don't make faith, but faith makes miracles. But they are places where where the physical and the spiritual intersect. And um, I think that this is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, this last line, uh, how, how do we translate it? The last line, astonishment sees them all and they glorified God, struck with awe. They said, we've seen incredible things today, struck with awe. Well, um, uh, uh, and uh, what it really says is ecstasy, ecstasis, which means it's, it means thorough. It means being outside yourself. Uh, it, it, it's bewilderment. It, it's an ecstasy is where you are in a completely new reality. Well, this ecstasy seized all of them and they glorified God. And they were filled with fear saying that we have seen the word is the word is paradoxa paradox, we get paradox from it <coughs> we have seen um, inexplicable things uh, it's very hard to kind of translate it things beyond beyond appearance now this is an important word uh, we have seen unexpected things but really doxa is glory, but it also comes from the word meaning uh, um, appearance. We've seen more than meets the eye. Uh, that may be one way to look at the word, but we have seen things that were completely beyond our expectation today. And, and uh, you know, incredible meat would be unbelievable. That, that's not, they're not seeing something unbelievable. They're seeing something so amazing that it, in a sense has to be believed uh, I think of miracles in this context that that Lord you've spoken to us through these wonderful signs um, you know uh, people get all excited about miracles but I think the important thing about miracles is what is the miracle telling us um, it just oh dear I've gone long I didn't even notice I'm so excited about this idea but for instance Eucharistic miracles that's really cool it proves that that this really is body blood soul and well, okay, it only proves it to those who believe it. If you don't want to believe it, you can say, oh, they must have slipped in a piece of human flesh instead. Um, I remember one one doctor saying that, that um, uh, he was examining a Eucharistic miracle. And he didn't know what it was. He said, this is evidence of a crime. The person, when this heart tissue was, uh, was taken, it, the person was alive. To me, that's not the important part of the miracle, that it's uh, uh, this reality. What's it saying? Eucharistic miracles, when they test uh, this uh, bread made flesh, uh, invariably it's heart tissue. In other words, God's giving you his heart. The sacred heart is placed in your, communion, in your hands at communion. What's the meaning of the miracle? And in the miracle that we see, it has the meaning that God can forgive sins the son of man can forgive sins in the world i gotta stop talking i get excited about this stuff we'll come back uh with uh, mass hysteria and we're going to open the phones and do not please do not wait to call in till the last minute 888-914-9149 888-914-9149 we will be right back i hope The Relevant Radio studio line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com forester. You know, this lousy music, they're still putting it out. <laughs> I mean, it's a lovely song. Uh, we would have sung it in the 60s at a peace rally. <sighs> like that worked. All right. It's time for Mass Hysteria. Dogs and cats living together. Mass Hysteria. Oh, this is kind of a sad Mass Hysteria for me. Um, I don't know if you understand that I'm not talking about the old Mass being better than the new Mass. Um, that I, I went to plenty of old masses that were pretty awful when I was a kid, you know, the, that, um, father wanted to get it over with because he wanted breakfast. Um, you know, you, you fasted from midnight. Um, and in the old, old days, uh, you didn't even drink water. I mean, it was a strict fast. Uh, and, uh, father, you know, it, you purified the chalice with wine. And so Father was pretty much shot by the time he'd said two Masses, if he had to say two Masses on a Sunday. Uh, and and you know, I, I saw some Masses that were just ter- terribly offered um, in the old days. Uh, so it isn't a matter of the new and the old. It's a matter of, of an attitude toward the Eucharist. Um, a friend of mine, a younger friend of mine and his fiance, um, went into a church, uh, this weekend, they were in a, in a city that they usually weren't in and, um, they went to mass and it was just so cold that they, they just, they said, there's another mass down the street. Let, let's try that. I mean, it was just, there was something wrong with this. I didn't, I don't want to go into that but they went, they went to a Byzantine church. They did, there was a five o'clock mass. The Byzantine, well, it turned out not to be mass because the Byzantine, uh, right, as far as I know, still only does mass on Sunday. It was Saturday night Vespers, but they were so intensely moved by the beauty of it. And then they started to look into uh, the old mass, uh, the Tridentine mass. And they saw some really good examples of it. And they told me, we feel like we've been robbed. And then the robbers told us, no, you haven't been. What did they want to say? That that they were at the point of tears at this at this Byzantine Vespers because of the beauty of it. The beauty of the environment, the art of the church, and the simple chanting uh, that... that um, was in English, wasn't in 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 an Eastern language. I maintain that one could do the Novus Ordo beautifully, solemnly. Uh, if you look at the Tridentine Mass, it's almost choreographed. You could do that with the Novus Ordo. The problem is that. We don't believe in beauty anymore. And I believe beauty is the sixth proof for the existence of God. You know, there are the five classic proofs for the existence of God, uh, the unmoved mover, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a sixth one, uh, the argument from beauty. What good does beauty do anyone? Well, you know, it's, it's an evolutionarily useful thing. A guy sees a beautiful woman. A woman sees a handsome guy. No, not forget that beauty. What about the sunset? What is? We look at a beautiful sunset, and or we look at the stars at night, and there's a beauty about it that does no one any good. <laughs> it doesn't make me richer or smarter or stronger, or more desirable. It's just beautiful, and I don't know if any. Any other creature appreciates beauty that way. They might appreciate attractiveness in a, in a, in a a reproductive sense, but we've forsaken beauty. Um, oh, it's nice music. It's good enough. Good enough is just not good enough that. That John Vianney, the curie of ours, the parish priest of ours, lived on potatoes. He'd boil a bunch of potatoes at the beginning of the week. And by the end of the week, he'd have to scrape the mold off the remaining potatoes to eat them. He dressed shabbily. Uh, the local lady of the manor sent nice furniture down to the rectory when the new priest moved in. He sent most of it back, kept a table, a chair, and a bed. That's all he needed. And she was indignant with him. Uh, his fellow priests just he was he was kind of making them look bad they just you know this this priest who's just kind of shabby well he didn't care about the way he looked but he bought the most sumptuous vestments and in this little church in the in the little town of ar in southern france he he got the best he could because it was for god and this is what this young couple told me when they were at this vespers it was all about God, Byzantine Catholic. It was all about God. And, you know, frequently you'll go to a, a, a Novus Ordo Mass or even a traditional Latin Mass. I was at a traditional Latin Mass, uh, Mozart's Requiem, and it was just breathtakingly beautiful. But everybody got up and left, or half the people left after the Sanctus, because true aficionados of Mozart will not listen to anything past the Sanctus and Mozart Requiem, because, well, it wasn't written by Mozart. He died, and his students or his lackeys uh, filled in the blanks, and so you don't stay. Well, yeah, you're not going to stay for the consecration, for the mass, for commun- No, 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 or for the Mozart. So even in the old Old right, there could be this attitude of entertainment. And then at the end of the Mass, this benevolent society that had paid the bill for the orchestra, uh, for the Mass, came up with a big novelty check to present to the pastor. I thought, you do that in the new Mass. You don't do that in the old Mass. Well, it's as tacky in the new Mass as it is in the old Mass. You see, we think of the Mass as kind of a community meeting. They're very important community meetings. But Mass is not one of them. And this young couple said it was the first time they had been to a religious service that was all about God. And it broke my heart. And I said, they said, we feel like we've been robbed. And I said, I feel like I've been robbed too because I grew up with beautiful liturgy. And it wasn't always beautiful, but the pastor of the church in which I grew up was a great liturgist. And he did his best to make the Mass beautiful. And all about God. Uh, Now it's all about us and its beauty, or at least kitschiness offered to the congregation frequently. I'm sorry. I just, uh, we need to discover beauty in the liturgy again, be it the, and again, I am not saying one is better than the other. I really am not. Um, A lot of people do say one is better than the other. They'll argue with me on that point, and I'm not going to argue it. The point is, there's no excuse for, uh, substituting, uh, uh, charm for beauty or cuteness for beauty. Uh, we, we're too cute. We, we, we offer cute to one another instead of offering beauty to God. Enough. Let's, let's go to, uh, letters. Okay. Uh, let's see here. All right. I've got lots and lots of letters Okay, I wanted to do one here. Where'd it go? Okay. Oh yeah, the uh, I wanted to thank uh, a listener. Uh, somebody asked uh, um, um, uh, if there was a liturgical calendar available somewhere uh, for um, uh, that was compatible with Android. Um, and Aaron, thanks for sending that in. I forwarded it to the person, and uh, I I. I don't want to talk a lot about it because it's, it's just from from Catholic aptitude. Uh, you can look that up if you're interested, Catholic aptitude. Uh, it is not a free service. I don't believe, but um, I think you can find stuff there. I, I, I looked it over and I saw, I didn't see anything that I noticed was objectionable. So if, if there is something there objectionable, please let me know. But thanks Aaron. That, that was a, a great uh, tip. And and I got a, an interesting, uh, this is from Kathy. Um, She's asking about indulgences. Can you explain an indulgence? Well, yes, I can. Um, She she says, I don't understand the remission of temporal punishment in purgatory. uh, Still do after sins, after absolution. There are two things going on, salvation and redemption. Salvation is when I'm about to die and someone saves me from death. I'm snatched. I'm about to fall over the cliff and someone snatches me back and saves me. That's I'm saved. Uh, Redemption is different. Redemption is it's it's from the Latin word to buy back. If a person was sold into slavery, captured by pirates or brigands and made a slave, if his family had the means and knew where he was, they would come and they would buy him back. He was redeemed and restored to his place in the family. That's redemption. So salvation isn't enough. Salvation is putting your feet on the path to redemption. And you see, God wants to adopt us in his family. In order to do that, he's got to make us look like Jesus. What did Jesus look like? I tell you all the time, sacrificial love, peace, patience, those fruits of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. In other words, for me to be fully integrated into the family, which is God, I must resemble the only begotten son of God, Jesus. And in order to do that, God has to transform me from a selfish, anxious, uh, 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 inconsiderate, uh, the person that I am to someone who is loving and peaceful and joyful and patient and kind and generous and humble and all of those things. So, so salvation is being snatched from death, being put on the pathway to redemption, to being fully made part of a family. So that's what the temporal punishment is about your sin is forgiven you're saved you're 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 not about to die you're in a state of grace your soul isn't dead anymore but there's still a lot to do you need to be built up to look like christ and the discipline of prayer and the discipline of penance that's part of it it builds up it, it it restores what was broken down that's what indulgences do that that um this temporal punishment is, is, is. Prayers are substituted for, for uh, uh, um, what we used to do in the church in the old days. In the olden days, was a public penance. It was arduous, and it took years. So the church, by the grace of God, could be indulgent and substitute certain pious acts and prayers. So that's what an indulgence is. But it's part of an indulgence is part of this reconstruction of the soul, so that I can look like Jesus and be adopted by God. So you ask, how are you saved? You're saved by grace through faith. God gives you his grace, different things in a day to make you look like Jesus. And how do you receive them? Through through faith, through trust. You trust God and you enter into that relationship. This This kind of juridical, you're in, you're out. That's not how it works. It's like, I've given myself over to God for him to remake me. That's how you're saved. By allowing God to remake you into the image of Jesus, and that work might not finish in this world. And that's why God has purgatory to finish the work we don't finish here. So, uh, this this life of prayer and generosity and kindness uh, is all about the indulgence of God. He's indulgent to us as children, and uh, that's that's the deal. Uh, just um, if you want to understand it, you have to realize salvation is not enough salvation is part and the beginning of i believe of redemption of being made to look like christ that i might live with the father in his home and with the saints and with our lord jesus and our blessed mother forever um so um that's that's what indulgences are about um I hope that helps. And you asked in another t- uh, another text, "How are we saved?" I believe that's what it means—salvation and redemption. So, I hope I hope that helps a little. All right, we're going to go to a break. I'll come back with a word of the day. We'll open the phones at 888-914-9149. one four nine, eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. We'll be right back. Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com/forester. Bingo, Oh, I love this old hippie music. The music of my youth, Peter, Paul, and Mary. I love that stuff. It's great music. But it's not for Mass! All right. How shall I send thee? All right, let's go to the word of the day. Well, we read in Isaiah, the 35th chapter, that the abode where the jackals lurk will be a marsh for reed and papyrus what well the abode where the jackals lurk that tends to be a little dry that's sort of savannah oh I, the phone number that's right 888-914-9149 don't wait to call in until the last minute okay the abode where the jackals lurk will be a marsh for the reed and papyrus that doesn't sound like it's much better than a jackal's abode no no no. marshes for reed and papyrus were very useful uh you can make boats out of reeds. You can make houses out of reeds. You can make baskets out of reeds. And papyrus, we're always hearing about papyrus. Well, let's let's look into papyrus. Papyrus was the uh, earliest form of paper in the West. I think it was uh, pretty much the earliest form of paper. I think in, in Asia, they wrote on bamboo, um, uh, uh, sort of slit bamboo, before they figured out paper where they figured that out in china apparently what we call paper but the egyptians had a lot of marshes up near the the mediterranean and you had these reeds that if you slit them they had all this sticky sap and you could lay down a bunch of these reeds and then another bunch of reeds on top of them crosswise and you'd pound it and let it dry and then you would would sand it, and it would become very useful paper. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't last outside of a desert. It was very susceptible to being uh, to crumbling, uh, rotting because it was just vegetable matter, uh, and it also crumbled with dryness. So we get the word paper from papyrus. But the thing that interested me: the last people to use papyrus, uh, as far as we know. Uh, was the papal bureaucracy. Uh, uh, There was a uh, a papal decree uh, in 1057 written on papyrus. And being conservative and doing things old school, all papal uh, sealed documents uh, were on papyrus until 1022 AD. I thought that was kind of interesting. But that's why... This is wonderful. We're getting rid of the jackals, and we're going to have a marsh. The marsh grows reeds and papyrus, and that's real useful stuff. So there you go. Now you know what papyrus is. Um, it was pretty much a, a monopoly of the Egyptians uh, until uh, until uh, they started using um, uh, animal skins uh, in the north. But that's another story for another day. Let's go to phone calls. This is Smart, Maxwell Smart. Who, Cynthia from St. Paul? What can I do for you, Cynthia? Thank you for taking my call. I need your opinion, Father, on pornography addiction. Is that mm-hmm. um, and is that an illness? So the spouse is bound, you know in sickness and in health, or is mm-hmm. it infidelity, or infidelity and grounds for annulment? Oh, infidelity is not grounds for an annulment. Um, if 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 Well, it, if a person didn't intend marital fidelity at the time of the wedding, then yes, there's grounds for annulment. They didn't uh, intend a permanence of marriage. I don't know that you can make that case with pornography. You know, men do not understand how horrible pornography is um, for women. It is. It's degrading. It is... You know, whereas a guy says, oh, I'm just looking, you know, no, no, it's, it's pornography is a horrible thing. And I always tell people, uh, especially you got a daughter. Yeah. What would you do if you saw your daughter on one of those sites? I I'd go crazy. Well, that girl you're looking at, that's somebody's daughter. Pornography is horrible, but a lot of men don't, don't seem to realize the incredible assault that pornography is on the women that they love. And I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know if it is if it's grounds for annulment. Um, I don't know that it rises to the level of infidelity. But the case possibly can be made uh, for an annulment um, uh, if 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 it if it does rise to the level of infidelity and it was present before, during, and after the marriage when he promised fidelity. Now. I would say if you have a situation in which you have a spouse who is addicted to pornography, I, I would uh, say we get counseling or it's over. Uh, I, I would say that that might be appropriate. Uh, but, uh, you know, you need to do your very best to save the marriage, no matter how mad you are at this guy. Um, but if if his addiction makes life unbearable, well, then, then maybe you need to... Uh, to uh, pursue a a separation, Uh, but I would certainly advise you to give it the old college try because uh, marriage is very sacred in the eyes of the Lord. Does that help a little? It does a little. Um, I agree it's sacred, and that's why I don't want to mess around with it. No, no. It's just, you know, and and a lot of men just don't seem to understand how, uh, now do you have children? Yes. Yeah, I would say to him do you have a daughter? Two. Yeah, I would say uh I would I would level it with him, say, what would you do if you saw when you see our daughters on that site? If you continue in this way, maybe our daughters will end up on a pornography site. Um you know, I would I would I would I would say that to him, say, don't you understand how serious this is and how detrimental it is to our children? These are your da- these are God's daughters you're, you're leering at these are some men's daughters who are as precious to them as our two little girls are to us you know mm-hmm. what would you do should I should I uh, start uh, going on porno sites should I should I pose for pornography myself if it's all right should I do it you know they don't seem to see that this is part of this applies to to the people they love. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm being a little brutal, but you know, I, I, maybe the the shock of it, you know, might help. To say, do you want me to 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 uh, farm myself out for for pornography? Uh, that it's just I, I I know people who have years later after their parents have repented, uh, they've gone to. Somebody said, I saw a picture of your your mom on 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 the web oh really and it's you know when her you she was a a a pornography model and and it it just the child is utterly shaken it is it's a horrible thing you're right so that's that's how i would approach i say we get counseling or else you know i i can't live with this and you don't understand uh what an affront this is to me and to your daughters Bring the, bring the daughters into the... How old are the girls, may I ask? 23 and 21. Yeah. This is an affront. To, do they know about this addiction with their dad? No. As far as I know, well, they do not. I, I I don't think they need to know. Uh, and you and make it clear to him that they don't know, but... <laughs> uh, um, uh, let's keep it that way by dealing with it. So I will be praying for you cause I know it's an awful, awful thing and it's an awful addiction. And I think, I also think that, uh, women don't understand how visual men are in a way, you know, women, I don't know what's wrong with them. They actually are, are interested in relationships. <laughs> so I'm joking, of course, and probably uh, this isn't a joking situation at all, but, but, um, we men tend to be very visual and, and uh, you know, sometimes superficial. Not always, of course. Um, but uh, um, I, I don't think that, that um, women understand that men think, "Oh, what what's the big deal? And men do not understand why it is a very, very big deal. Uh, it's an affront, as I said, to you and to your daughters. So that, I, that might be an approach. I will be praying for you. It's all right? Thank you, Father. God bless you. Bye. All right. Oh, who have we got now, dear voice, in my head? Carol from Illinois, what can I do for you? Throw me a softball. <laughs> I'm exhausted after that one. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord. <laughs> um, um, this past Saturday, wait just a moment, <clears throat> this past Saturday, right before 5 o'clock Mass, I went to confession. Mm -hmm. And the priest gave me a penance of something I had to do.
1: Well, Mm -hmm. I
0: could not do it before I received Holy Communion Mm -hmm. on Saturday night. Mm -hmm. But another thing is, is that I don't know if I'll be able to do this penance before this coming Wednesday. That's all right. No, that's all right. right. That's all right. Your intention is to do the penance. You've received absolution. You're in a state of grace. Uh, if you were to say, I'm, I'm not going to do the penance. Who cares about penance? Then then I, I think that that would affect the absolution. Your intention is to do the penance as well as you can. Uh, and and you're, you're in a state of grace. So don't worry about that. You can receive Holy Communion um, on the intention to do the penance. So does that help? Yeah, so I can receive Holy Communion on Wednesday. Of course. Of course you All can. Right. Yes. Oh, yes, you, just Father, do your best to do the you. penance as soon as you can. All right, God bless. Well, Who we got now? Yeah. You're welcome. Ed from Modesto. What can I do for you, Ed? Hi, hey, Father. Quick question. Uh, so Genesis 7 mentions the uh, the uh, story of the flood. And then in the Epic of Gilgamesh, it also mentions that story. So, and I'm kind, You're of, kind of breaking of up. Ed, 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 I can't quite understand. You're kind of breaking up. Uh, I don't know if it's a good connection or not. Genesis 7. Well, it mentions the Epic of, uh, not the Epic, I mean the story of the flood. And The flood. Uh, okay, and then the Epic of Gilgamesh as well. It mentions the Sumerian Epic of Gilgamesh. Yes, it mentions Gilgamesh. Yes, the yeah, and then, so I'm not confused. I have faith. I'm Catholic, and I believe in God. But the seems that Father, mm-hmm. what came first? Uh, the people who wrote the Old Testament. Did they know about the Epic of Gilgamesh? Or okay, okay, of the Bible? Ed, Ed, Ed. I only got a minute. I got an answer for you. The the. Almost every culture has a flood epic. There was a flood. The Bible is not so much concerned with letting us know there was a flood. They knew there was a flood. What the Bible is concerned about is letting us know what was the meaning of the flood. So uh, the the epics, uh, the the stories, the flood stories, they they uh, precede the biblical account. The biblical account isn't about the history of the flood. The biblical account is about the meaning of the history of the flood, which is a a different matter. Uh, Everybody knew there was a flood, but what did it mean? Why was there a flood? What was the consequence of the flood? That's what it's about.